And now, podcasting from a two-person hot tub, high atop the Butterfield Park water tower, it's the E-Town Lowdown, created by Robbie and Rick. And now, your handsome hosts, PK, Rick, and their highly paid intern, Malort. Welcome to another special edition of the E-Town Lowdown COVID-19 pandemic. Today is Thursday, August 26, 2021. And I have two of my friends, uh, Pamela Dunley, the president and CEO of Elmhurst Memorial Hospital, and Dr. Michelle Mazir, who is the president of the medical staff at the hospital. How are you today, ladies? I'm great. This is Pam. I I just want to say I'm looking out my window and it's sunny and blue skies and beautiful. And I'm hoping that is a sign that things are going to change. I mean, I do sometimes live in Wonderland, so maybe that's what it is. But uh, it's nice to see the sun. And you, Dr. Mazir, how are you doing? I'm doing great. And I completely agree with Pam. The shining sun is is a huge boost for us. So we're living in... uh... In scary times again, as it appears that our governor is going to institute some sort of a new mask mandate. So uh, we're going a little bit backward, and I'm I'm sure that uh, you're seeing some of that at the hospital too. So could we start with an update on your COVID patient census, and then maybe a, a feeling for how many of your patients, or at least what percentage approximately, are vaccinated versus unvaccinated? Absolutely. And I'm going to start and Dr. Mazir will answer a lot of questions as we go along, but I'll start with all the facts. So as last time we were together, which was on August 9th, we had 19 positive patients, two of them on vents and two that we were awaiting results. And today we have 24 positive patients, two on vents and two awaiting results. So we're going in the wrong direction. Of the uh, ones from last time, eight of those had been non-vaccinated and eight were vaccinated. This, so it was a 50-50 split last time, which we thought was unusual. Um, this time the split is different and it's more what we thought would have it would have been. Currently of the 24 positive patients, 16 of them are not vaccinated and eight are vaccinated. So it's more of the split we would have expected. Last time we had 190 deaths, and since then we've had three more deaths, so we've had 193 deaths. DuPage County um, has had 94,926 patients uh, last time and 98,425 this time, so the county is going up in the wrong direction quickly. And deaths in DuPage County um, went from 1,407 to 1,416. The state went from... uh, 1,440,000 patients being positive, up to 1.5 million being positive, and state deaths have jumped from 25,992 to 26,335. And for our good news, our discharged COVID patients went from 1,879 to 1,941. So that tells you how many patients have been in and out of the hospital with COVID since August 19th. Well, the information you just provided as it relates to those that are unvaccinated versus vaccinated uh, at the hospital is is certainly good news, but there are a lot of skeptics out there that hear about these breakthrough infections, and it, it seems to be hitting a lot of vaccinated people also, and and some of those vaccinated people are hospitalized, so people say, 
well, you know, these people have been vaccinated. They end up in the hospital anyway, so they obviously have a serious case. And yes, they probably have comorbidities, but we've been told all along that unvaccinated people, you know, a year ago um, had comorbidities also. So does it does it seem like the vaccines are still somewhat effective at least? I think, Rich, I think the thing to take a step back and realize the purpose of the vaccine, the purpose of the vaccine is to prevent serious illness and death, and the vaccines really still do that. I think that everyone gets a little alarmed when we see vaccinated people that are actually hospitalized, but I think the way to understand that is the bulk of those patients that we're seeing currently that are hospitalized and vaccinated um, are those that were either immunocompromised or with underlying conditions like COPD or emphysema. Okay. And it and does it still, you know, in the beginning, what we heard with the vaccines is that most people wouldn't get COVID at all if they were vaccinated. And those that did would have a mild case. So is it is it starting to seem like almost everybody who's vaccinated might get it if they're exposed in the right way and it's really not preventing them from being infected at all. It's just lessening the blow. I think that the Delta variant has changed a lot of what we're seeing now. So the Delta variant um, is much more infectious and easily uh, transmitted. So I think that's where the variation is coming. Um, Again, I don't think we expected ever to see you nobody get COVID that was vaccinated, but we expected to see mild symptoms. And the truth is that that's really still what we're seeing. And as it relates to the Delta variant, I know the, the last time I, I talked to Pam, she had mentioned that Elmhurst Hospital wasn't testing for the variant. And I would assume most hospitals aren't. Is that extrapolated data from certain hospitals that, in other words, assuming that it's a Delta variant and not knowing for sure? Yes, that's from our epidemiologists, you know, across the state and across the country that are basically saying the most prominent variant now in the United States is the Delta variant. Testing to determine if the Delta variant is a pretty complex, high-level test that, that you're correct. Most, most facilities do not run that test. Is uh, there any new data as it relates to whether or not one vaccine is is not nearly as effective as advertised, or are they all pretty much coming in around where they were estimated to be after the initial testing in terms of effectiveness? We haven't seen really much of a standout as far as one one of the vaccines versus the other. They're all coming in where we thought they would. I know that, uh, at least I hear, I'm not obviously not a medical professional, I hear that each year the the flu shots that we get aim at different variants of the, the flu virus um, the ones that the medical community thinks are going to be most prevalent that year. So from a, a layman standpoint, it seems like the flu shot uh, formulation changes every year. And I would assume there's not years of testing on that that new flu shot. So my question relates to, um, it, it's kind of twofold. One, um, are you aware of the pharmaceutical companies changing the formula, or at least working to change the formula to maybe be more effective on the Delta or other variants? And if so, will that require a year of testing or will it be more like the flu shot where, you know, they've already got the main formula and they just tweak it a little and and they can change it on the fly? 
I think that I would probably also be considered a layman in this in answering this question because I'm not a pharmaceutical expert. But um, normal behavior of viruses is to change and mutate, and that's what we see in our flu. And we base our flu vaccine every year on what the variants that we have seen come up um, in other parts of the world. Uh, the year prior, and my best guess is that we're going to see similar approach to COVID vaccines. And I would just add to that, you, you already hear about this because we see variants to the COVID in different countries first before it comes to the United States, which gives us time and this pharmaceutical companies time to look at those and address does there need to be a change in what we're receiving. And I want to just go back to the question around, you know, we were told that that the COVID vaccine would, would work on everything. In the beginning, for the initial strain of COVID, there was a 95% uh, efficacy of the, of the uh, vaccine working with, with at least 5% of people would still get sick. But as the variant has mutated, the efficacy does change. And now it is it keeps people from getting sick, getting sicker, the, the seriously sick and dying, but is not as efficient in keeping you from catching the disease. So it is because we didn't get enough vaccines quickly into people to stop the, this from mutating that we are in the condition we are in now, which is why we are so um, expressing so strongly that people should get vaccinated. And it, it, it sounds like, you know, the next thing I was going to ask you about is Shouldn't we we be able to prevent getting to those high numbers that we saw last November in hospitalizations, at least locally, because so many people are vaccinated? And I know it's it's not enough. It's never enough. We need more people vaccinated. But I think what I hear you saying is it's really the variant that is probably the culprit and that we, in theory, could get back to those high hospitalization numbers like last November because of the variant and the um, ineffectiveness of the vaccines. It's not that they're ineffective, but they're not as effective on the variant. Is that true? I think that's a correct assumption. I, I rambled on there. I apologize. <laughs> but uh, um, just trying to you know wrap our arms around it um, as a society, because there's so many people that have have questions, and and nobody nobody seems to. Uh, seems to totally understand this. And I'm, I'm sure even the medical community is a little miffed about the variant. You know, can I just address that sure. in another way as well? I, I would want to look at it as a glass half full instead of half empty. If more people get the vaccine and if we can limit the number of people that don't have the vaccine, the um, ability for this this uh, virus to continue to mutate will be lessened and people there should be less hospitalizations and less people getting severely ill. So even if we still have a little bit of COVID, it will be COVID that doesn't require the kind of hospitalizations that without the vaccine are happening. So one, one really good piece of news in the last week uh, that almost everybody's heard is that Pfizer has uh, full approval now. It's not just um, emergency use authorization. Uh, has that changed the hospital's policy as it relates to employees becoming vaccinated? Because I know the last time we talked, the hospital was at 71 or 72% vaccinated. So we had um, planned to make our announcement mandating vaccines for employees this past Monday, and Pfizer 
announced that they had full approval about two or three hours before we made our announcement. So we had been working on it um, because you are correct. We were stuck at that 71%. We were kind of stagnant there. But even since announcing on Monday, we have had um, an increase in our employee uh, vaccination rate. So we, we anticipate kind of fine-tuning our data over the next few weeks and really seeing that number go up. Is there any kind of timetable on that for the employees? Yes. So we will expect everyone to be compliant by the end of October. And that's really consistent with uh, the majority of the healthcare systems in the area. We worked a lot together uh, with the Illinois Hospital Association to, to kind of present a cohesive front regarding this. And I will say the reason it's the end of October and not earlier is because if they're going to get a Pfizer, you know, you, there is that three weeks in between. So they need to get a first dose in September and then the second dose later. So we're, we want it completely done by that date, both first and second dose. That makes sense. And then as it relates to the general public, do you think that the approval is going to make a, a lot of difference? Or are you anticipating that and anticipating greater numbers of folks getting shots? I do. I think that people were waiting for the term emergency use authorization to go away. And so I definitely think we will see an uptick. And just even anecdotally, since Monday, I've been working clinically and we offer the Johnson & Johnson vaccine at our Lombard Immediate Care, and we've seen those numbers um, tick up a little bit over the last few days. So um, the other piece of news the last few weeks is that there was a lot of talk about booster shots, and every article I read from fairly trusted sources uh, has a different story. Can you kind of clarify from your standpoint what you know about which vaccines um, might include a booster down down the road or or now for that matter and who might be eligible for a booster? I can. I think this is very important. So currently the only patients that are truly eligible for a booster are those that qualify as moderate to severely immunocompromised. And I actually think it's worth taking a second to go through those specific conditions. So it's any patient that has been receiving active cancer treatment for tumors or cancers of the blood, anyone who has re received an organ transplant and is on immunosuppressive medicines, anyone who has received a stem cell transplant within the last two years, moderate or severe immunodeficiency syndromes, advanced or untreated HIV infection, or active treatment with high doses of steroids or other immunosuppressive drugs. Those people are eligible currently for a booster 28 days out from their second vaccine. That is very different um, than going forward requiring a booster or a third vaccine for those of us that completed our series. And the truth is that most of what we're hearing about requiring a booster is coming from the media. And we have not seen anything official come out from the FDA yet. So everything we hear in the media isn't true? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> it's not, not been <laughs> verified yet. Okay. <laughs> it is more, more than likely true, but we don't know the details and we don't have any current recommendation on whether that will be an, a six-month, an eight-month, or a one-year booster. None of that is known to any of, that, any of us in healthcare yet. Okay. You know, when the, uh, the Pfizer and the Moderna 
uh, vaccines were being given in, in large quantities, let's say maybe, I know a lot of the medical community was vaccinated beginning in December probably, but let's say February through May and there were vaccines being administered left and right. Um, there was a lot of talk about, oh, if you got your first shot and of Moderna, maybe maybe, uh, maybe you should get your second shot of Pfizer. And I know the medical community said no to that. But as it relates to the booster, um, is have you heard any talk about maybe if you got Pfizer, your first two shots, your booster should be Moderna or vice versa? They still strongly recommend sticking with the same uh, vaccine that you received for your first two. Um, and that, again, that really just is... Um, for the immunocompromised population. So that population is so at risk that they have recommend, strongly recommend if you had your first two doses of Pfizer, then your third dose should be Pfizer. But if for some reason you're in an area where Pfizer is not available, then you could receive Moderna. But again, that really is just related to what we know right now about the immunocompromised state. And I think just taking into account how at risk that patient population really is. Over uh, a lot of the last year, I know that we've heard that monoclonal antibody treatments were effective uh, if they were given within a certain number of days or hours after somebody had symptoms of COVID and that it was being used fairly widespread uh, to treat COVID. And uh, I just saw a report that maybe some that aren't even for sure infected yet might benefit from that just in case they have it. Is that true? So that is true. Patients who either are not vaccinated or who qualify as immunocompromised, if they have had a significant exposure, they now qualify for monoclonal antibody treatments as well. And we have seen in our organization great success with those treatments. Um, the purpose of that treatment, again, is to prevent severe disease requiring hospitalization or death. And that's exactly what we've seen in the patients that we've been able to give it. And I assume those antibodies come from individuals that have been infected. Is that true? That is, that is a great question. And I don't think that they are um, patient donated antibodies. I will um, fully disclose that I don't know the process for creating that. So it, could, it might be in a lab or something like that too then. I think it's a lab-generated antibody treatment. Okay. So uh, with uh, the spike that we're experiencing right now or that you're experiencing, our, our whole, I guess our whole country is experiencing, um, is there any new protocol at Elmhurst Memorial Hospital as it relates to either visitors or staff uh, that maybe has uh, resulted from the spike? So there are new protocols both places visitors and staff, so I'll start with the staff. We, um, for a while, had that if you were in a non-patient care area and um, you were fully vaccinated, you did not have to wear your mask. That has um, been taken away. Everybody is masked at all times now. We've taken away having a large meetings and having food at meetings. So if you have a small meeting when you're socially distanced, we have to have at least six feet distance in a meeting. There can be no food, you have to wear your mask, um, but you can have small meetings, no large meetings at all. Um, so for staff, you know, they've always worn personal protective equipment. Uh, and, and so on the floors, we've never uh, altered from what was expected because we 
we're wanting to be careful for both the staff and the patients, but fully vaccinated people did have these other options for a while in non-patient care areas, and those have got reverted back to what we did pre um, the vaccination and thinking that the vaccination was going to end this. Um, in terms of visitors, I, I, I wanna um, first make a plea. People's tempers are really short. Um, people are very frustrated. And so they are not particularly very nice uh, when they are being screened coming into the hospital. And we are not going back to screening with temperatures because temperatures haven't proven to be a reliable indicator of this disease. So we are not screening with temperatures, but we are still screening people coming in. We have, we're still trying to allow visitors in the hospital, but we have limited um, the visitors to um, 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. There is an exception if one COVID partner one care partner of a non-COVID patient needs to spend the night with their loved one. We are still doing that, but um, that has to be worked out with the leadership on the floor because we're trying to be very careful. We, um, we have changed the visiting uh, age, so it's back to 18 and older only can visit because we know that children are not necessarily um, vaccinated and we wanna make sure that our patients stay safe as well as the children um, staying safe. They must, every visitor must wear a mask and that has not changed, but we still have people very upset and do not wanna wear their mask. Um, and I can say it is to the point that our, our screeners who are lovely people who uh, really care about the visitors and want them to come in the, in the hospital are very frightened and want us to have security at the entrances at all time because of the kind of verbal abuse and threats that they are receiving from the community. And I'm, I'm really sad about that because we just wanna help keep people safe and we are not trying to limit people from coming in. But if we can't, if we can't make sure that your child's safe, we're not letting your child in. If, if uh, you're not going to follow the visiting rules, we can't let you in the building. And so taking it out on our poor screeners is making people not wanna work anymore. And we're gonna have a shortage in people wanting to work in healthcare anyway. And so if people could just understand and be a little bit patient and a little kinder, I think kindness on all fronts would go a long way to helping us get through this pandemic. I'm really sorry to hear that. that that's such a shame because those folks are there. Uh, some of them might be volunteers, right? And, uh, you know, they're, they're giving their time trying to do the right thing. Uh, the hospital's trying to do the right thing with their policies. And uh, I agree, people should treat each other with respect no matter what the, the situation. And I know there's a lot of stress with their loved one in the hospital, but uh, I, uh, I agree. Pe people should, should understand that those rules are there for a reason and not, not just uh, to frustrate you. So... Um, no doubt. That's really troubling. Um, is there any concern that with in-person school resuming, that that might add to the spike here in the next couple weeks? I think so. I think that in in-person school returning is really should really be a push for those that are eligible for vaccine to get vaccinated. Because although um, the schools are doing their best with their spacing and their 
uh, mask mandates, we know that when we put our children together in school that things will spread. And the people that we really need to protect, protect is the um, family members and members of our community that are most at risk. So I think that we expect to see more COVID in that um, school-age population. We have seen it over the last few days, but the kids that we're seeing are really um, the ones, at least, that I've seen are minor illness. That doesn't mean that there aren't some out there that are getting pretty sick from it, but I think the vast majority of the kids that get it are young and healthy and they're getting cold. But the, the real concern is if there's more of it in that population, there's going to be more of it in the unvaccinated older population. So uh, the last few days, uh, in the last few days, there was an article in Cranes about uh, talks of a potential merger with EE Health and another health system. And I've, I've had people call me and say, I hear uh, Elmhurst Hospital and Elmhurst Edward is talking with Northwestern and I, other people that have read the article more carefully have said North Shore University Health System. Um, and, and, and you have communicated that with me in the last few days. And, but Pam, could you, from your standpoint, talk to us about uh, a potential merger and, and what's going on? So um, thanks for asking the question, because I do know it came out in Cranes uh, that we are North Shore University Health System uh, is what was identified in Cranes that we are in talks with North Shore. You know, over the years, I think there was somebody else uh, about two, three years ago that it came out that we were in talks with and everybody got all worked up about it and then nothing happened. Um, we talk to people all the time. We always want to know and think about what's going to be best for our community and to be able to position ourselves uh, in, in a way that will ensure our future ability to serve our patients and our communities. And so we look at potential partnerships that, um, that provides that opportunity and that have the same kind of philosophy we have, the same community focus, the same understanding that, you know, that money that's earned in a community stays in that community that, ha that will make sure we have the resources we need and, 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 and the um, support for our physicians and our staff that is necessary to keep this a strong organization. So we have been talking to North Shore. Uh, nothing is uh, finalized. There's no full written agreement or anything at this point. We're still talking. Uh, but we do think that there's a strength in in what they do and what we do in terms of synergies of the kind of approaches we have and the kind of um, facilities that in, and care that we provide. We think together we could have a vision for more transformational care for patients. We know that you know healthcare is going to be constantly changing and it's going to change in many ways from this pandemic and people who have the same kind of vision that we do can support us to be able to get things done, um, but make sure that there is always the commitment to, to the local environment. Sometimes when you get too big uh, as an organization, the, um, the importance of the local community gets lost. And we know that it's really important that the local community never gets lost because that's really where healthcare is. It is about the personal interactions that that community has with the system. So as soon as anything does get signed and it, if it really does go through, we will definitely be announcing uh, what, what that is. And, um, and, you know, the minute that we are sure that it's going to go in that direction, 
we will be telling everybody. So our, our system CEO, Lumastro, will make sure that she tells everybody. Outside of a, a synergy and philosophy between the two organizations, can you can you tell me anything else about North Shore, how large they are or anything like that, where they're located? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a little bit about North Shore. You know, I mean, I don't know tons about it, but I know enough. Um, so, first of all, North Shore has a very, very strong reputation in the community, and it's very physician-driven. So, uh, physicians have um, been actively involved in the development of things at North Shore. There are currently six hospitals that are part of North Shore, Evanston Hospital being their, their largest um, and longest-standing hospital. There's Glenbrook Hospital, Highland Park Hospital, and then recently and Skokie Hospital. So that was their main four hospitals. Recently, about a year, year and a half ago, they added Swedish, added Swedish Hospital in the city. And that hospital um, was having difficulty surviving and they wanted to make sure that community did not lose their hospital. So they jo- had them join and they are really helping to shore up for that community. They, they have great service within that community. And then the latest one that happened um, at the end of December was Northwest Community Hospital. And many people in the area would know Northwest Community Hospital, another good, strong, independent hospital who wanted the same kind of vision for the future of it being a, uh, you know, a, a, an organization that would let them still be very important to their local community. The other things that are kind of neat about North Shore is they do have an academic and research affiliation with University of Chicago, Pritzker School of Medicine. So we, you know, they do have a pipeline for uh, physicians coming out of that school, and they have the ability to do a lot of research and precision medicine uh, genomics through that relationship, and that's really exciting. They um, are recognized for nursing excellence, so every one of the hospitals in the North Shore system is a magnet hospital. And that, that's really impressive because not many systems are, have all magnet hospitals. And so if we were to join them, we have all magnet hospitals, so that would be excellent. And um, they do have a research institute. They do have a foundation. They do have um, home health and hospice services. They're non-for-profit, just like we are, and they provide more than $205 million in charitable care and services to their communities, and um, and they have a strong philanthropic support by individuals within their community that helps them to provide that clinical care and all the research they do and a lot of education programs for their staff. They do have some specialized institutes, so one of their hospitals is an orthopedic hospital, um, and their other institutes are their cardiovascular institute, their Kellogg Cancer Center, and a neurological institute and a center for personalized medicine. So those are the things that I know about them. Um, so they have a lot to offer, as we do. Well, I guess the uh, the uh, conclusion is stay tuned, right, and see if uh, if it goes further. Or and I would assume that there would be an announcement if if the talks break off too, right? Well, I don't. Yes, probably we'll announce it. We we um, don't normally announce it, but because this came out so. Loudly, I'm sure we would announce that we are no longer talking. <laughs> one, uh, one last comment, and that is uh, reiterating what you said earlier. For those who do listen, please be patient. If you visit the hospital, please tell you know, people in your circles of influence to be patient when they visit the hospital. They're, they're there. The, the volunteers at the door who are screening 
are there to keep you safe, your loved ones safe, the staff safe, and our entire community safe. And uh, I want to thank you ladies both for joining me today. And uh, I hope the next time we speak, the news is better. Thank you so much for allowing us the opportunity to kind of clar clarify what's, what's real and what's, what we believe is not real and, and to let you know what is currently happening because I think it's so important for our community to continue to be knowledgeable and informed so that as they make decisions for themselves and their loved ones, they know the risks and the benefits of those decisions. And I thank Dr. Mazir for being part of this. Her expertise is invaluable to me and to our community, and I really appreciate her time because I know she's very busy. Thank you Thank both. you both. My pleasure. The E-Town Lowdown brought to you by the wonderful folks at the Elmhurst Armpit Orchestra featuring the biggest bass drum in the world at nine feet in diameter. Yes, you heard that right, nine feet in diameter. This has been a special presentation of the E-Town Lowdown.